Welcome to the Chief Future Officer podcast. We are kickstarting another season today. Today, my guest is Nikhil Agrawal, head of FPNA at BrowserStack. Nikhil, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. So, Nikhil, starting question: uh, You had like a storied career, graduated from IMI, and then you know series of finance jobs. Give us a down memory lane, very early days. What was your first job like? So, yeah, I mean, uh, my first job uh, post, I mean, so I did actually start working before college, uh, trying to run a startup back in 1998. We were trying to do uh, e-learning back then. But then, and that was largely with my father, who actually wanted me to be a CPA or a CA, since he was one. So since I didn't get there, I said the best, next best thing when my startup didn't work out was to do an MBA finance and take up a finance role, right? Uh, I also thought that given my childhood where I think my father got me to do numbers and accounts as a, as a little kid, I thought this is my strong area. So let me anchor myself to this. So, you know, picked up a job in finance uh, back from school. Uh, and that was also a startup. It was a manufacturing startup. So I've had a lot of starts, uh, startups in my, in my career in that sense, apart from my own. Uh, so I basically helped the CFO set up the finance function, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, launched a few nifty products in the market. And thereafter, I think uh, the way I describe my career to people is, uh, I've almost worked every in all industries other than media and pharma. Those are the two industries I've not had a chance to work. And it's not that I've been job hopping, but it's just that I had a very good consulting stint as well. So I got a dipstick into different, different industries. Uh, and that's helped me build perspective. Uh, you know, as, as I took up newer roles, broader horizontal perspective on a vertical function, I think helped me a lot in that sense. That's great. And how did the transition? So I think you worked at a cement manufacturing earlier, and now you are at Browser Stack, which is at the forefront of you know deep tech and used by thousands of customers, name brands such as Microsoft. How did that transition happen? So uh, in some ways, uh, I think a lot of these things are about timing and opportunity. So at a point in time, five years back, five or six years back, I decided that I'll leave my job in an established Fortune 500 organization and pick up something with the new age of business, which is e-commerce, SaaS, tech businesses. And whatever it is, it'll just prepare me for future. Right? I had to, you know, and I had to jump cities, move my family, a lot of that stuff and join a much smaller company, et cetera, et cetera. But I said, I have to invest in the future, which is get to know how to deal with tech, uh, tech businesses. Right? And that's how I mean, it was a conscious move to, to move into an industry, uh, did some great work uh, before browser stack. Uh, and I think from there, browser stack then pick me up as somebody who can help them, you know, chart the path forward. Got it. I'm sure many in the audience know about BrowserStack. I know very well. I've used it in the past. 
for people who are not aware of browser stack can you give us a quick high speed of what browser stack does sure so browser stack uh, provides testing infrastructure as uh, in a saas mode so essentially if anybody who's developing a web app or 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 a website or or a, or a piece of software uh, you do not know which browser and device combination it will play on you know you you've got 50 plus operating systems you've got so many browsers you've got so many combinations within desktop and mobile so from a testing standpoint you've got to test the performance of your website on most of these combinations and then you know every year there are 10 more instruments and 20 more uh, interfaces sort of getting launched so what browser stack does is it provides you a saas based tool where you can seamlessly toss a you know test across hundreds of devices live and hundreds of these combinations and get feedback on you know what works and what doesn't work in different combinations got it that's super interesting so all these phone manufacturers have weird combinations of what their interface would look like and of course now you have hundreds of flavors of different browsers on various desktops so you can just test remotely on these and how the application would behave yes absolutely amazing and and tell us a little bit more in terms of your role like you know people know what fpna's role is on a day to day basis if you could highlight a little bit in terms of what you do and you know how does your day look like that would be awesome to know sure so uh, i describe my role as the commercial consciousness of the organization right so the organization is running at at great speeds right i mean they're all bent to cross the finish line faster than the other uh, and and in in the middle of that you need somebody who needs to stand up and say hey this makes sense this doesn't make sense from a commercial standpoint and that in one sentence is is my role uh tomorrow if on hindsight uh, browser stack doesn't achieve its financial targets or takes a decision which wasn't commercially thought through i i would hope the founders hold me responsible for that in, in that way right so so that's that's spiritually the role that i'm sort of playing for them what are for the deal looks like is you know bunch of things sales or marketing are trying to do offers you know incentive models etc in in the light of pushing uh, revenue there's a lot of retro that we do uh, in terms of uh, you know looking at data in fact uh, i also head data analytics for browser stack as part of fpna so there's a lot of focus on uh looking at all kinds of data and create predictive modeling and predictive analytics for the rest of the teams to to use and move forward uh very little time spent on the cost side frankly because uh you know if we can do well on the top line then we can you know uh right sizing the cost is is a smaller property to a priority to that extent but definitely i mean we are not we're not burning money we look at headcount and other cost decisions in one go we have a principle that when we forecast when we budget we will think about this deeply but then once we've thought we've thought about it right we're not going to spend time every day on on the cost side we'll spend time every hour of the day on the revenue side right 
So that's been that. That's how sort of we we try and set ourselves up. Very interesting. I I love that definition of yours. So spiritually, it's I'm just reading it out. Uh, commercial consciousness of the organization. If I got that right, that's amazing. Yeah. I never heard that before. Great. I if I could patent it then. <laughs> At least you, you trademark it. You know, FPNA means commercial consciousness of the org. Boom. That's amazing. Yeah. W- what is your team like there? So I, I have, uh, so like I said, I, I right now have inherited a team which is partly FPNA and partly, you know, data analytics. What I'm trying to get to is a common team where we've got business partners and we've got reporting function. Uh, so there's a central reporting function. Uh, we use Adaptive and uh, BQ and Looker uh, in terms of tools to disseminate uh, information. And then we've got business partner roles where uh, these guys don't focus on reporting. They focus on the numbers they have and how are they going to move the function forward. And the central reporting units getting all the data right, getting the reporting right, and disseminating information and any visible trends. So anything that a computer can possibly read, since we, we don't have AI right now, that comes out of the central reporting repository. And anything that you really need to spend time with the function, understand what they're doing, and develop, that's with the business partner. And has your role evolved at the time that you were at Browser Stack, Or was this from the get-go? No, it has evolved, I think, uh, it, and it is evolving. Uh, I think uh, the char- I had to explain the charter a lot. I've, I've created uh, FP&A vision pages and, and things like that, done maturity mapping of the function within the organization. And to some extent, uh, the senior leaders uh, understand the role, but the rest of the organization still has to come to terms with, especially trying to understand when somebody questions me, how are they not going to slow me down? How do I work with a questioning function, but still work at breakneck speed? Right? Hmm. Nobody wants to slow down. Nobody in, in a tech business wants to slow down. And then, however, you need this police officer in the middle who says, oh, by the way, can I check your papers? <laughs> Right. So since you mentioned slowdown, although I plan to ask towards the end, but let's just jump right in. So 2022 has not been great for tech in general. And yes, there is a proverbial recession in the future. Some people are talking about we are already in one. Tech valuations have been cut in half. Sales are slowing down. Have you seen an impact? Uh, yes, I think we're not uh, very different from the industry. Uh, I think all of SaaS tools industry has seen that. I think it got exasperated about two quarters back. Uh, and like you say, uh, that slowdown, it's anybody's guess if the worst is past or the worst is you know, in the next one or two quarters. But, but really, I'm hoping along with what I'm also hearing that H2 this year, or maybe, you know, Q4 this year is where we start to see some offshoots back. So fingers crossed on that, that yeah. we bottom out in a couple of quarters then. Yes, that's fingers crossed for that. 
Got it. And and I'm going to hinge on that question and maybe um, ask a very controversial question. So do you think that SaaS vendors took uh, a free sort of revenue in this last five years of growth, which was generally not sustainable, but the Gaga days of free money helped that. And this is the correction that we are seeing. Oh, yes. I, I fully believe in that. Uh, not so much. So revenue a little bit, I think, because I think we were able to, as all SaaS vendors were able to, uh, maybe convert a 70% need into a 100% need. You know, people on, on, the, on the sidelines got converted as customers and maybe we sold them certain overcapacity, right? But I think the bigger bubble came because of the free money in the valuations. Hmm. So even today, you know, you're, a lot of companies are not seeing not necessarily going to see a lot of negative growth. No, they're not going to see that suddenly their baselines and their ARRs have started degrowing. What they're going to see, at least the ones that had a fundamental business model, that the growth slows down. And say net new ARR comes down to you know, single digits or comes, comes really down. Because what they did was, was sell a little bit more, convert the people mm. on the hinges. It was easier to convert them. But the valuations are taking a, a bigger toll because simply there was more money than good ventures available. So there's a demand supply issue and you, a lot of money is chasing properties. And, and hence, you know, people got brilliant valuations. People got brilliant 100x type of valuations very early in life. Uh, so valuation is a different story. Revenue, I still believe that the good businesses will keep revenue, they will, I'm hoping, you know, net news will not be negative for a lot of, a lot of people. And, and you mentioned the overcapacity in as an example. So, you know, I run a SaaS spend management startup and we see this across the board that 20 to 30% overcapacity, you know, maybe it's sold, not needed, but we see that 20, 30%. Is that a general observation from your point of view? Yes, uh, fully agree. I think uh, the vendors gave deals and people didn't really necessarily think of what happens in renewal. And, and largely there was so much money coming in. We will grow. We will have developer accounts doubling, tripling in a couple of years time. So there was a nice story from both ends to sell a little bit more. Got it. Very interesting. We're going to park this for a, for a while and see if we can come back. But I want to go deeper into your background. Yeah. What was it like growing up? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Delhi in India, which is, uh, which is the capital of the country. Uh, growing up, I mean, my father himself was a, was a CFO, right? So uh, growing up at home, I think I started tallying bank passbooks at the age of eight or ten. You know, that was wow. his that was his way of ensuring my math was really good and I understood money. And I remember days when I I had to I had to pronounce mathematic tables before I could get to lunch. So so there was a lot of focus, you know, given 
uh, you know, his profession and, and everything. You know, there was absolute, you have to have your math right, you have to understand money. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that was very good. And then as I was hitting the, the late teens, we had uh, the internet bubble of 90s. Right? So again, uh, uh, you know, I've not shared this with a lot of people, but back in 1998, when I was 18, I was, I had a 50 member team trying to develop eGurukul, which is a e-learning platform in India. Right? So you, uh, you were 20 years ahead of time on that. <laughs> and that's what I tell everyone. It wasn't that I got it wrong. I just got it ahead of time. Yeah. It wasn't a failure. You know, sure, it didn't, it didn't work out at that time, but I think, that gave me a lot of perspective in life that that early immersion uh you know told me how businesses run how money works what will what will bring you down most importantly so today when i'm working with companies that are on running at breakneck speeds you know i am somebody who's looked at failure before i have looked at what brings you down that perspective is very interesting in the room very interesting. So if I could double click on that, but after eGurukul, have you had other startup initiatives or say, hey, I'm going to do another one? If not, why not? So, no, I haven't. I'm, I'm trying to think of now, things now. And, and largely because I got into the mode of saying, I can't trust myself with my own money. I have to see because uh, you, you start a company, you run something out, you, it obviously takes toll financially on the whole family at the end of the day, right? Because, and then for a while, I said two things. One, I don't know if I entrust myself with money and fortunes right now. Second, I think I need to learn a lot. This was a lot of teenage enthusiasm and, and brilliant thinking. So I was in Mark Zuckerberg, but you know, let me learn. Let me understand this a lot better. Let me get a lot wiser. And then perhaps now's the time uh, where, uh, you know, maybe next, in the next few years, you'll, you'll hear of me about doing something different. That's very interesting. So, so that fire has not extinguished. It's still somewhere in your heart that, hey, I got to do. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and... Uh, while I said I can't trust myself with my own money, but I was always working in all my jobs as if I was running the show. I was very mm -hmm. clear in my mind that unless I have the same passion for this business to succeed as the man on the top, why does he need me? I mean, he can get anybody who can tally numbers and give a report or whatever. But with anybody on the top, an FP&A gets really close to the top very quickly, right? Uh, you need somebody who will take the burden of observation and, and figuring things out off your shoulders. And that's how you create space at the table. That's how you create value for your opinion at the table. Interesting. So grew up in Delhi. And how did that transition to Mumbai happen? Oh, uh, so Delhi is a, uh, is a very easy city as compared to Mumbai. You have large houses, you don't travel so much, all of that. And, 
and my family had never stepped out of Delhi. So we did what somebody would do. We took a house very close to office so we don't have to travel. We overspent on the house so that we don't feel like we're in the city with small houses. And then, you know, fortunately, we also had my daughter growing up. Uh, so I think it was between settling into a new industry, a new job and, you know, loving our daughter grow. We didn't miss a lot. And then as time passed, we got used to things. But, but we were very clear that if there are two drawbacks of this city, let's just kill them when we enter. And then we'll see. Got it. And you mentioned that your destiny as a finance professional was already pre-written because your dad was a CFO and then you're dealing with numbers. Was there ever a speck of a thought about something else? Oh, no. I was very clear in my mind of two things. One, I know numbers better than anything else. And two, I don't think I can work hard throughout the year to be an engineer. You had to work, study throughout the year and so much more to become an engineer. That I said, that's not, my, that's not the lifestyle I can have as a kid even. So I was very clear about that. Interesting. And now at Browser Stack, you run the FP&A function. And of course, you mentioned the, the analytics as well. What's happening next in your career? See, uh, again, the way I, I value roles is not by designation, but by impact. I think right now, I'm, there is a certain impact that I'm trying to build into an organization uh, which is a global MNC out of India, you know, looking to you know, looking to take them public, et cetera, at some point in time. And so there are two tracks that I'm running after this or, or for after this, whenever the after is. One is, like I said, uh, let's get, put ourselves out there once again and see if we can build something. And the second is, uh, is to use finance pedigree to run a business. I'm not necessarily clued into a CFO path or, or a CFO title because, frankly, in all organizations that I've been, I have, been, you know, often I describe my role as a business CFO because I think the value that the, that the CFO adds is, has already come for me. And hence, the next stage is, can I run a PNL? I've, I've had small PNLs to run, like I ran a business in China. I ran India for a company for a little while. Uh, but that's where my, my mind is at, that whether my own or someone else's business, let's look at getting to running a business now. Very interesting. I was researching history of many companies and a few examples comes to my mind. Ford Motor Company's co-founder was a CFO. And then there were other examples until we come to the tech boom. You know, many of these early companies had CFOs at, as part of the founding team. Do you think we're going to get back that the engineer and the sales guy to an engineer and a CFO or a sales and a CFO as a founding team? Do you think that's something in the horizon that's going to happen as a trend? 
Oh yes, I absolutely think so. Uh, and there's a, a a few things right in that uh, any at any point in time when you'll see great innovation, at that time the CFOs will take a back seat because money matters less than innovation, right? Uh, but as soon as you start seeing only incremental innovation and more uh, scale, whether it's horizontal or vertical, then money values money and you've got to have a cfo playing a very strong role in an organization uh, because that's the mindset the innovation gives you multi, you know tremendous return on on investment just because of that and hence you trust it to an engineer and a sales guy but when there is no massive innovation happening then you want to get your returns out of managing things better and that is where you start saying, can I have a guy with a finance or a commercial bent of mind? And it's a great take because as, at least in software and SaaS, we see a huge degree of commoditization where, you know, yes, we have invented quite a, quite a few things, but the newer set of companies that are copying existing business models, they'll be run by highly capital efficient CFO roles as founders and or CEOs who have been CFOs in their past life. Yeah, fully agree. You know, that's the need of, of R in those businesses. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Got it. I'm going to change tracks here and, you know, ask you some questions in general about how do you see not just the role of the CFO, but in general, how the market has changed and, um, your perspective on software in general. So we talked briefly about, you know, general tepidness of the tech economy. And you mentioned that, yes, you know, we'll see green shoots, fingers crossed for that in Q4 of next year. Do you see that the, the main driver was the quantum of money that came in or in general, there was a bull market that anyway had a 15-year run from, let's say, 2008, 2009, and that matured and imploded, and tech valuations probably was a byproduct. So I'll tell you what, we, we ran a piece of analytics uh, recently where we were trying to correlate uh, Fed rate, uh, valuation multiples in tech companies, and growth rates for revenue. And there is a complete correlation. Hmm. So we saw that as Fed rates went from 0 to 2%, there is a certain trend on valuation. Then, you know, 2 to 4, you sort of, 4 or odd sort of, it becomes really bad. And then when the walk back comes again, you start seeing great numbers, great multiples, great growth. And the sweet spot's probably around 2%. Uh, and, and that sort of answers that question that, that when money starts to become available at really cheap rates, you have the ability to take a lot of bets. And say as a venture capitalist, your probability of success can be lower because the cost of money has gone down. The return that you need to give is very different now. And hence, a lot more bets, a lot more riskier bets. Uh, 
and that drives i mean companies raised money that they needed for 3 years 2 years in one go and like i said even before probably really performing at any sort of scale and uh, and counterintuitive isn't it because as a vc or a venture capitalist i am supposed to be even keeled and allocate money based on the quality of deals irrespective of the volume of money i have in my lp funded accounts isn't that and you and you'll see that some of the best funds have a lot of dry powder left because they did not do this in the last 12 months but a lot of funds were also racing against each other right because like there was also a, a you know the good companies that had great business models were not available they were already funded by the axels and sequoias and and those bonds of the world right so what did what did you do you tried to figure out who could be the next great mm-hmm. business model and then there was a chase for it there was one company could get 10 offer letters maybe even pre due diligence right because there was so much money available and so few opportunities and all of us thought that everything will give a multiple return multiple x return right if you think about it right i mean if think about the bigger ones why did facebook spend whatever 30 billion dollars on metaverse right because we thought everybody sitting at home no and everybody continue to sit at home and just enjoy the screen see all of these large if if all of these large companies with massive leadership teams with massive experience and who had seen the previous blowouts if they ended up taking these decisions of wrongly forecasting the demand based on a covid year think of the smaller guy the guy who's got 10 years of experience Now, they were definitely making more aggressive bets than them then all the signs are that this is not going to end up well the bottoming out is going to hurt because a lot of companies will go out of business a lot of venture capital funds will act like zombies because they have invested and there are no returns and you know 5 10 year vintage will sit on whatever remaining capital they have yes and there will be some amount of bloom but i also think that we've also as an industry found nifty ways of bringing companies together and keeping investments alive and things like that so you'll see a lot of uh, acquisitions uh, you'll see but yes 100% the next two quarters there will be blood on the street uh, you cannot avoid it and without that happening you can't even get the horse back on Well, uh, I am keeping my fingers crossed uh, as every tech professional who has yeah. any amount of bet. Let's change tracks one more time and get to know you a little bit more. So, growing up, Delhi, went to Mumbai. Who has influenced you most? Uh, my parents, uh, undoubtedly. I think uh, they've shown me what resilience is. they've shown me what uh patience and focus is uh and i think if in your personality you have resilience and and, and that largely comes from patience and focus i think 
uh, you can get through bad times easily. And if you can get through bad times, then well, you know, you already know how to spend the good times. Right? It's it's when things aren't going your way, how do you sort of build yourself out? And I think that I saw a lot from my parents. Uh, and then that that's helped me a lot. Any specific example you want to cite that their deep involvement and you know inculcating these habits into you helped? Um, so, for example, you know, for a while, you know, we didn't have the best of fortunes, and you know, we lost a lot of money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. My father, you know, basically said, "Go study." Go do your MBA. You don't have to look back and I will figure this out. And he just put his head down and he said, nothing doing. I will find whatever means that possible. I will not let your future affect because if, if I let your future get affected today, then we're definitely sort of not helping anyone. It isn't an easy call to... You know, pony up cash for a for a B-school degree, not let you have a loan, and when you're not doing well yourselves, right? And completely disengage you for you to be able to study, and and that was resilience from him. That was his, that was focus from him, right? So that's just one example of uh, of how they've helped me think through things differently. Interesting. Do you read? Do you catch up on books? Uh, that's one habit I wish I had. Today, I try and make up by, you know, either trying to get summaries of things or, you know, look at people who write uh, blogs, etc. Try and get that out. I definitely have like a few books around me and I try and delve in as much as I can. My problem is, Three or four pages in, I get sleepy, <laughs> no matter what I'm reading. So, so yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I wish I had a lot more of that good habit in me. As we wrap up this conversation with you, Nikhil, we also have an audience group with us who are fresh grads or people still in college. What's that one piece of advice you would give to them? Don't just look at doing your job. Think about what value can you bring to the table. And, and in a way, you'll have to think of what value would I add if I was in the job I want rather than the job that I'm in. Right? Uh, do that. I mean, add value and everybody around you, once you start adding good value, will recognize the difference that you bring to the table. And whether it's sport or careers, right? If you have to be on the team, you have to figure out what you do best than the the lot out there. And this is the one thing businesses want. They want people to figure out how to add value beyond the level you are at. And And that would also mean that don't job hop. You know, get into a role. It's not going to happen in one year. You're going to you're going to learn the business, the business is going to learn you, and then you're going to find spots to add value. It's an investment. And much like stock markets, SIPs give you better returns than lump sum investments. 
keep putting in your time in an organization, it will come back. That's an amazing piece of wisdom. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So with that, we're going to wrap up this conversation, Nikhil. Where can people find you? So uh, I'm, uh, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. Uh, Nikhil, A-G-A-R, is my profile uh, extension. And I have an email ID, which I like to help people who, like you said, freshly out or, or trying to work their way through a finance career. There's an email ID, anythingfinance at outlook.in. So any questions, anything that you have related to a finance career, role, problem, shoot me a note. Or find me on LinkedIn. Super. Thank you, Nikhil. That's uh, Nikhil from BrowserStack, my guest today on the Chief Future Officer podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Indus, for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Chief Future Officer podcast. The Chief Future Officer podcast is brought to you by Colum, a CFO's best buddy to buy and manage SaaS. To support this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast application. Links to previous episodes and the rest of the show notes are in the bio and I love to have you check out other episodes. Lastly, if you want to be on this podcast or recommend a friend, let us know in the comments below. Thank you.